Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 59. And the children shall lead. Wind and Fog, call the podcast Mission Log. I'm John Champion. I'm Ken Ray. Let's not do this. Let's, Let's go, go play. <laughs> so painful. Is that it? We're yeah, just, that's. We're not going to do this. We're going to go play. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't it be we, nice? We could stop right now. <laughs> Turn back. <laughs> you know I miss. You know I miss. I miss. I miss uh, Sylvia and Korob. Oh yeah, yeah. Those are the days, I miss right? Mary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not not that we're prejudging anyway. No, no. Hi we're everybody. Not. Yeah. Hi. Welcome to Mission Log, <laughs> the Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, yes. where we uh, we get to look into Star Trek to try to determine the morals, meanings, and messages, and see if a show holds up nearly fifty years later. And today we're talking about and the children shall lead, uh, which, by the way, is a, a reference to a Bible verse. It is from Isaiah 11.6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Um, and it makes no reference at all to the Gorgon or to uh, children on a planet with a scientific expedition. No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. It's it's again. I always forget who this is, but one of the one of the guests in one of the supplementals um, said, you know, when Star Trek doesn't have anything to talk about, it talks about Shakespeare. Yeah, right. See yeah. also the Bible because yeah. this. I mean, yeah. it's not. Uh, spoiler alert: This is not an evangelical episode. <laughs> this this, yeah. this really has nothing to do with that Bible verse, but it's like, oh, well, there are kids. What do we do? Let's see. Do we, should we do what's wrong with these kids today? No, nah, that's not that, that's not really a good title. What would be a good title that involves children? You know, how about not safe for children under six? No. How about something from the Bible? Okay, that'll that'll make it sound important. People will surely <laughs> tune into that. <laughs> oh, oh, Lord, oh yeah. Lord, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, but Ken, yes, I, I, I am pretty excited actually to talk about the trivia for this episode because there is a lot of trivia here. Okay. All right. Why don't you um, do that then? I'm gonna. I'm just gonna rest quietly. I'm gonna. I'm gonna steal myself for what's to come. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I really want to focus on the guest cast today uh, because it, it, they kind of are, are all over the place. And you you sort of can't talk about this episode without talking about the guest cast, uh, and particularly Melvin Belli. Uh, he, of course, who plays the Gorgon. And uh, he was a, uh, a very public, very famous attorney. He had many celebrity clients, including people like Zsa Zsa Gabor. He defended Jack Ruby. Uh, he was actually the second lawyer to defend Jack Ruby. And uh, I think we all know how, wet, how that went. Uh, Jack Ruby got the death penalty. So, um, yeah. Jack Ruby yeah. got the death penalty? Well, he didn't actually... He died get, in prison. He died in prison. Right. Uh, but he, yeah, he was sentenced to, uh, to death. The, so, I did not know that. I assumed yeah. he was sentenced to life in prison. 
Uh, he was sentenced to death. Oh, and uh, we have Melvin Belli to thank for that. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, some, <laughs> so, I think there's probably some prosecutor someplace who would like to say, yeah, I think you have me to thank for that. Right. <laughs> right. You're, you're, uh, like, you're like coming out as like a Jack Ruby defender. I never know where you're no, going to go when no, you mention no. it's, it's fascinating to me. It's fascinating to me. <laughs> How dare you, Ken Ray? How what do you dare mean? You? Uh, go ahead. Yeah, anyway, I'm uh, sorry. Uh, uh, Fred Freiberger, the uh, executive producer at this point in Star Trek's run, he thought it would be a good idea to cast Melvin Belli because he was a name. And uh, I think we all see how that went. Um, but here's my favorite bit of trivia. In the David Fincher movie Zodiac uh, from 2007, um, the, the real-life Melvin Belli got a letter from the Zodiac Killer. And then he went on a TV show uh, to talk about the Zodiac Killer and got a phone call from a person claiming to be Zodiac. Um, They reenact that moment in the David Fincher film. And right before the show within a show goes live, uh, the host actually leans over to the actor playing Melvin Belli and says, hey, my kids loved you in Star Trek. So I like how they tied it back to that. I thought that was very cool. Um, that wait, is also, yes. Wait, while well, you're going a little fast for me, do am I to understand that Fred Freiberger thought that Star Trek and Nimoy and Shatner and Kirk and McCoy and Bones, well, actually McCoy is Bones, and Spock, um, were not big enough names? Like, <laughs> right. They needed yeah. to draw something else in? Well, you know, I, I always call it stunt casting, and you can tell that a show is struggling when you, you just bring in somebody ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right, but, but yeah, that, that, I mean, that, that, that's, that's, the ex- idea. that's extra ridiculous, though. You know, what, you know what's really going to get the kids to tune in? <laughs> a <laughs> lawyer. Let's bring, in, let's bring in a lawyer. Exactly. <laughs> we'll love this. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's nuts. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, but well, speaking of that casting, though, that is Melvin Belli's son, uh, Melvin Caesar, Cesar, playing Steve, one of the kids. And, and now you can kind of see how the casting decisions were made. So they had him, and then it was the idea of, oh, hey, let's get his dad, Melvin Belli, because that'll really get people to tune in. Um, another bit of casting here among the kids, uh, Brian Tochi who is an actor who is constantly working. He was in Revenge of the Nerds. He was in Iron Giant uh, as one of the voices, to name a few. Um, He also starred in the live-action Saturday morning series called Space Academy, not to be confused with Jason of Star Command that featured one James Doohan, uh, but both shows were produced by Lou Scheimer at Filmation, and... We, of course, know what else came from there, Star Trek, the animated series. So it all kind of ties together. Um, Craig Huxley played Kirk's nephew, Peter, in Operation Annihilate, uh, among many other roles as a child actor. Um, And it's interesting pointing out that he is kind of a musical prodigy. He played with Frank Sinatra, Stevie Wonder, Earth, Wind & Fire, and even William Shatner. Yes. Um, And he created uh, an instrument called the Blaster Beam, which you hear on the soundtrack for Star Trek The Motion Picture and one of my personal favorites, Megaforce. Uh, So I think it's very cool. He, um, uh, he of course, plays Tommy in this. And uh, I I, kind of have a theory, which I'll drop on you later, about uh, Peter and Tommy, Peter Kirk and Tommy Starnes here. Um, 
And I, you know, I really wanted to find something dark and menacing about Ring Around the Rosie because they play that rhyme and they play the music throughout the episode. Uh, but sadly, no. Uh, it dates from the 18th century, and uh, there's a lot of modern interpretation that tries to tie it to the Black Plague. That's actually incorrect. Um, so I'm here to tell you it's just annoying. It is not sinister. This episode reminds me of Devil in the Dark in one respect. Pain. Pain. Prologue. The Enterprise responds to a distress call from the scientific colony on Triacus. But they're too late. The colony is dead, Jim. Except for Professor Starnes, the leader of the expedition, who Kirk knows but who doesn't seem to know him. Plus, now he's dead. All of the adults of Triacus have killed themselves. But the kids are fine. Well, physically anyway. They just want to play. Act 1. The adults are buried. Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and a couple of red shirts are holding a memorial, but the kids are bored. They run off and play. Which creeps Kirk out. The kids should be sad. They seem totally disconnected from the death of their parents. Kirk wants to really make them see the horror of what's happened, but McCoy says that could really screw them up. Kirk tells the kids it's time to go to the Enterprise. They argue against it. They're playing! But it's getting late, and they need to go. Alone together, Spock and Kirk start making a lot of leaps. Spock says the adults were either attacked or guided to killing themselves. But the kids are fine, so Kirk says they must have been left alive intentionally, which Spock says is a valid assumption. The children's present behavior, the officers surmise, is either the result of fear of punishment or promise of reward. Suddenly, Spock's tricorder has something to offer. Spock's tricorder that he wasn't using. It says there's a disturbance in the cave in which the kids had been playing. Spock and Kirk go to check it out, and Kirk gets really uptight. Anxious. Though it reads more like Anxiety Plus. Kirk thinks that's what Spock is reading, though Spock doubts the tricorder can pick up Anxiety. Out of the cave, Kirk says they should get back to the Enterprise. He wants to review the science expedition's records and question those kids. Up on the Enterprise, Nurse Chapel is feeding the kids ice cream from a computer. Kirk's heard from McCoy that the kids seem healthy physically. Nothing accounts for their complete disconnect. Bones is worried that Kirk messing with their heads will really mess with their heads, but Kirk says it would be worse for everyone if he doesn't. The captain joins the kids for just a little ice cream. Gotta watch that captainish figure. He also wants to chat. The Enterprise is kind of neat, isn't it? The kids say it's way better than Triacus, which their parents love, but they hate it. Also, they're under the impression that their parents didn't like them. Kirk assures them that their parents did like them, and they liked their parents too, didn't they? They seem to consider this for a moment, then lapse into senseless play. Kirk sends them to their rooms, in a very nice and gentle way, all except Tommy, who he questions about life on Triacus. Triacus was terrible. It's for adults. His parents were always upset, just like Kirk, says Tommy, and his parents were always busy. They're happy on Triacus, and now if you'll excuse me, I'm tired too, you know. Kirk calls security. He wants a constant watch on the children. For some reason, this does not happen. Everybody misses it when the kids summon a... demon? A warlock? Host of a TV kids show? Put 200 pounds on Brando and Superman. Subtract any nuance. Wrap all that in a shower curtain. I got no idea what you got there, except it's kind of a motivational speaker. 
You have done very well, my friends. You have done what must be done. You have come aboard the Enterprise. So here's what's going to happen. Kirk's going to want to take you to a Federation settlement, but don't let that happen. We want to go to Marcos 12. Millions of people there. Probably a million will be our friends. The rest will be our enemies. We'll do away with them, just like we did on Triacus. Hey, awesome. Thank you. Oh, there's more. With a million new friends, we'll be invincible. No one will tell us where to go, when to sleep, where to eat. The universe will be mine to command, yours to play in. Sounds good. Thank you. Oh, there's more. To do this, we must control the Enterprise. To do that, we must control the crew. To do that, well, you know how to do that, kid, so get to it. And as you believe, so shall you do. So shall you do. So shall you do. You know, it takes forever, but I always leave these sessions feeling totally empowered. Act 2. Still in orbit around Triacus, Spock says he's gone through Professor Starn's records and pulled out the pertinent bits. Everyone felt ridiculous levels of anxiety the whole time they were on Triacus, except for the children. Oh, to be a child again. Anxiety keeps ramping up until... Hey, that's weird. The records stop playing. Right as Tommy Starnes hits the bridge. Right as he saw what they were doing and started pumping his fist. Like he's about to play a game of rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock. Nobody notices him doing that, though. Tommy asks if Kirk could drop him and the other kids off on Marcus 12. Kirk says no. That's way out of the way. They'll just drop them off at a Federation something and be done with it. Kirk leaves the bridge, though Tommy stays behind, theoretically under guard... Turns out Rock, Paper, Scissors, Lizard, Spock gives the kids some sort of mind control. They can make people see what they want them to see, do what they want them to do. Soon, no one will tell them where to eat. A few solo games later, and Tommy and Mary have got control of the bridge. The other kids are taking over the rest of the Enterprise. The Grops... I'm sorry, the adults think they're still orbiting Triacus, but they're actually on the way to Marcus 12. In Kirk's quarters, he, Spock, and McCoy are watching the rest of the Starns tapes. He eventually figures out that... They are being controlled by something. Starnes had called Starfleet to get a transport ship, but he's not sure why he did that. Now he's afraid that whatever is affecting them will get off the planet, so they'd better kill themselves. Stellar parenting. Spock figures whatever happened to the colony happened quickly. Starnes was an excellent scientist, tireless in his pursuit of the truth. Kirk thinks that may be what did him in. Kirk wonders if the children might be involved. Spock... What can you tell us about this planet? Well, legend has it that Triacus was the seat of a band of marauders who made constant war throughout the system of Epsilon Indy. After many centuries, the destroyers were themselves destroyed by those they had preyed upon. Well, thanks, Spock. I... Oh, there's more. Yeah? The legend warns that the evil is awaiting a catalyst to set it again into motion and send it marauding across the galaxy. Kirk wonders whether the evil has found the catalyst. Bones thinks he knows where Kirk is going, though he must warn the captain that unless the normal grief is tapped and released from these children, Kirk is treading dangerously. Kirk says he understands. Which makes one of us. Still, he's got to do what he's got to do. He orders security to the transporter room. Time to relieve the security detail currently on Triacus. But they're no longer orbiting Triacus. It just looks to everyone like they are. Kirk just ordered the two security dudes beamed into the void something they don't figure out until they can't beam the other guys back. Kirk calls the bridge and tells Sulu that they're off course, though Sulu argues they are not. Kirk rushes to the bridge just in time to see whatever the thing in the shower curtain is appear in response to the call of the children. 
Act 3. The most warped kids show host in the known galaxy tells the kids that they've reached a moment of crisis. The enemy has figured out what's going on. But they're too late. We have the ship. They will take us any place we desire. So keep up the good work, kids. And if they give you any trouble, call upon their beasts. Their beasts will serve us well. The fear in each of them is the beast which will consume him. Remember how it was on Triacus? If they resist, so shall it be on the Enterprise. If you need me, call and I will appear. Our new goal is Marcus 12. It is our new beginning. We must not falter. He just makes you feel like you could do anything, you know? Kirk tries issuing orders to the bridge crew, but the bridge crew is tripping. Like, we're told the brown acid is not specifically too good tripping. They can't see past what they think they see to follow orders. Rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock is a dangerous game. Even Spock is under the control of the children. He cannot obey Kirk's orders. Thing is, though, Spock's awesome. He just sort of decides something is wrong, and then he decides to see past it. He gets Kirk off the bridge, but not before... Uh Uh-oh. Tommy plays the game at Kirk, and Kirk is freaking out. He's losing command of the Enterprise. Now he's lost command of the Enterprise. Now he's got command of the Enterprise. Well, he's got command of himself. He'll get command of the Enterprise back. He and Spock head to engineering to override the bridge controls, but Scotty's under the kids' control, so that's a non-starter. After a short scuffle, Kirk and Spock leave engineering. Spock and Kirk think it might be time to consider killing the children. Something I've been thinking about since the prologue. Just then, Chekhov approaches. He's been ordered to arrest Kirk. Starfleet says so. Except, of course, it's Tommy. Still, Chekhov thinks it's an order from Starfleet. He'll kill Kirk if he has to. Act 4. Kirk tells Chekhov the order is false. He needs to disobey it. Then he and Spock take down Chekhov, who seriously had a phaser on Kirk from two feet away, and a couple of red shirts. This is definitely not a warship. Back on the bridge, Tommy is comfortable in the captain's chair. Kirk says they won't be going to Marcus 12. Tommy says they will, too. They're going to follow their leader. Yeah, about him. Kirk starts making fun of him, calling him a stowaway and a coward. He tells the kids to summon him, but they refuse. So Kirk plays a tape of the kids, summoning the Gorgon, and he appears. Hey, I'm awesome. What's up? Yeah, we've been thinking, says Kirk. You're not awesome. Sure I am, says the Gorgon. No, you're not, says Kirk, and we're going to show the kids. But first, we're going to show the kids some old home movies. Movies of them and their parents playing and having a picnic. Reminding them of the love they once had for their parents and the love their parents had for them. The kids really seem to be enjoying the home movies right up until the shot of all of their dead parents. Now they start crying. They see the truth. And in seeing the truth, they see the Gorgon for what he is. A big, misshapen, ugly, angry blob. In a shower curtain. His rallying cries of let's take over everything or else don't work anymore. He disappears with a rousing chant of death to you all, death to you all. Except for the rousing part. With the Gorgon's disappearance, the mind control is lifted. Kirk's crew members have control of their senses, which means Kirk has control of the Enterprise. Bones hits the bridge and sees the children crying. He doesn't know how it happened, but it's good to see children cry. Well, these children anyway. The end. Wow. Can I I just say wow? Yeah. Please, (laughs) please do. 
Yeah, you you had the the strength, the temerity, the tenacity to get through that, and um, you know what I was really, wondering. I'm kind of blown away. I, yeah? I couldn't find our contracts. Is is there hazard pay <laughs> there, for season yeah. three? You just earned it. Oh man, you just earned it. It was it was you know, and I I I don't want to apologize. Let me just say, generally speaking, I while I'll, while I'll occasionally try to throw in something that's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. usually just outright make fun of a show all the way through. <laughs> it was survival. <laughs> right. It really was. Now, all of right. that said, I really like this episode. No. I'm... <laughs> 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 I'm sorry. I skipped ahead. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, yeah. it, you know, well, I, I do I, – I really felt badly for Sulu who had to pilot the ship and uh, not fly into the swords. You know, as we know, every starship captain's greatest fear is the uh, the giant animated swords that they might encounter in space. Yeah. You know, where, yeah. where they're in a spaceship where there are no swords in space. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was kind of a weird hallucination for him to have. It was a bizarre hallucination for a number of reasons. Let's start with the fact that, you know, uh, the Enterprise is armor plated. Mm-hmm. Let's yeah. go then to the fact that it has shields. And finally, right. let's let's end with Sulu's a swordsman. Right. <laughs> I know. He right, ought to be able right. to dodge and parry. Yeah. And he also has weapons. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, they, they have so. phasers and photon torpedoes, which yeah. I'm pretty sure will trump uh, swords, a- animated swords. Yeah. Well, that, that tunnel of swords, though, was unending. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. maybe, maybe Boy, that's you got it. me there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, I like how in TV shows, whenever they have the, the real life, like the home movie, uh, they're on Triacus, <laughs> you, you always know that there's a cameraman there catching all of this stuff because they cut and they move around. And then Spock even had time to put a soundtrack to it. You know, yeah. I love I love how they do that. It's like what you always say about, you know, when we're learning about somebody for the first time, we get their headshot. Well, yeah, you get their publicity photo. It's kind of like that. Know? Yeah, because it's not even a birthday party or anything. It's just apparently somebody on track has set up a camera on a tripod really far away from yeah, a right. picnic and just like oh, just film is eating because yeah, yeah. this might come in handy someday. It, it will. Yeah. And, and speaking of eating, why? Why the hate on vanilla and coconut? Why the that, hate on that, vanilla and coconut? What was up with the whole thing with nobody's going to tell us where to eat? That was... Yeah. <laughs> that was they were kind of... Yeah, it they was were only one line, and I know I did that like three or four times in this, but he's like, yeah. no one will tell us where to go, what to do, where to eat. Where really? To, I know. It's like, did he have somewhere that he wanted to be afterwards, or <laughs> was he angry at Fred Freiberger because he wanted to go to the Brown Derby and, and Freiberger wanted to go to the Ponderosa? I mean, what's that the might, deal? That might have been it. Nobody's going to tell me it. where to eat. <laughs> actually in the constitution nobody's going to tell in the, in the, in the whatever united federation of planets the governing thing <laughs> how, how, how dare they be that ungrateful tell people oh. where oh, oh with the with the th- you know that was totally weird and there was he's also got, got computer ice cream well but i mean you know? it was also kind of bizarre when nurse chapel's like do you want a surprise and the kid's like yes yeah and she gives him the surprise and he doesn't like the surprise and she's like sometimes they're unpleasant surprises so now, what do you want for your good surprise? Well, it's not a surprise anymore. Then you're just taking orders. No, it's exactly. Like, waitress, bring me a surprise, and here's how I want it cooked and what I want it to be. <laughs> right, right. And also, why is Nurse Chapel the babysitter? 
Oh man, that's that's terrible. I'm not even gonna yeah. go. It's not that's not even a thing. We're not even gonna hit that today because everybody's a babysitter. Actually, it's like whoever is around. Kurt can't get rid of the kids fast enough. Uh, right. Okay, Bones <laughs> is gonna take you up to the ship. Uh, Spock's gonna take you to your quarters. Uh, somebody just get these kids. Oh, Nurse Chapel. Thank God. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Nurse Chapel's gonna you know feed you ice cream, and then he's worried about it's gonna ruin your dinner. I'm not gonna eat dinner with you though, and actually go to bed. <laughs> just like he just can't get away from the kids fast enough. Oh man, I, I do like how they keep referencing uh, the enemy within. They actually say the enemy within a couple of times, and it, and it's sort of like a nod to the audience, like, hey, remember when our show was great and we had that episode called the Enemy Within? Hopefully, you'll catch it and rerun soon. You know, because then you'll remember. It yeah. actually, I, I will say, I I really appreciated the fact that it was the turning their fear on them. It happened mm-hmm. a little too quickly, but when they do that, when he says, you know, that the uh, that the uh, the beast is the you know the fear within them, mm-hmm. that reminded me of the of the uh, of the chant from Dune, mm. or not the chant, but the uh, you know sort of liturgical, almost liturgical thing of uh, I mm-hmm. will not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little sleep that brings death or great death or whatever it is. I don't have right. it exactly, right. but I love. I that was fun. Yeah, it made me think of something better. <laughs> as so much of it did i'm sure yeah uh, um it, also i'm pretty sure that um on kirk's computer in his quarters or maybe on those little uh those little discs those little tapes that they hand around he's got to have the condolence letter for the red shirts to, like as a template so he can just open that up type in a new name and get that out of there because we just killed two red shirts by being beaming them into nothingness when they materialize that must have been a very short but horrible shock I was wondering about that actually. Do they materialize? I don't. I'm not familiar enough with how. Well, I, I, mean, I actually found myself wondering if they were still in the buffer, but I guess that's not something that we even consider or think about until uh, until next yeah. gen, do we? Well, no, but because it's not like Red Jack. Remember from uh, Wolf in the Fold, where they actually said beam him out of here and just set a wide dispersal pattern, so right. he's just going to go everywhere. Right, you know, or pieces of him will go. But this, they actually had set a coordinate that was the wrong coordinate for them to materialize. Oh yeah, yeah, that was kind so, of that would have been terrible. Yeah, so those guys for just a, a split second, like, hey, look at the view, bam, they're dead. They're gone. <laughs> hey, look at the view. Yeah. Well, I was actually that kind of bothered me. Well, as mm-hmm. as a lot did in this episode, but <laughs> yeah. and what kind of bothered me about that was they didn't actually call down to the other guys first. To mm-hmm. prepare them to beam up. So so what they do is they is so Kirk says, All right, so beam these two out of here and they do yeah. out into the, you know, cold, harsh void of space. Right. And then he's like, Okay, beam the other guys back up. We're not gonna call them? Are the other guys I, uh, just like standing like someplace waiting? I mean, because right. they might be in the middle of something. I mean, yeah, it exactly. could be anything. I mean, it could be anything that they could be right in the middle of. Or is it like, okay, well it's been fifty nine minutes, we have to go stand by this rock right. and wait. And just wait. Yeah. yeah. You know, you know, you're right, Tom. It would make sense if they called this first. Yeah, but that's not how we do it. No, just <laughs> stand still. Just go, go stand by the rock. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a bit early on that I think it's the first time that Gorgon appears, and uh, the kids have summoned him, and he he's talking. No, it's not the first time. I'm sorry. It was the first time on the bridge, mm-hmm. and. Um, I started to think that he was just like a pre-recorded hologram kind of thing. And maybe that's just part of the performance that I thought he was just a pre-recorded hologram. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the kids are talking to him and then he's talking about the Enterprise crew. But Kirk is like right there. 
Right. And so is the rest of the crew. And he's just talking to the kids, not even acknowledging like, hey, we're going to take over your ship. And I kept wanting Kirk to just jump in and say, hey, I'm right here. You're, you're talking about me, but I'm right here. I, I, and it, it made me think like, well, OK, maybe maybe he's just uh, uh, something that shows up, but he's he's not really aware of what's going on. But then mm-hmm. he's interacting directly with them. Uh, that is a bit of bit of a bad choice. there. Well, he's not actually he doesn't interact directly with anybody. It doesn't seem until uh, Kurt does start talking to him the third time he appears. Yeah. Yeah, maybe the the field of vision there when you appear as a, a disembodied hologram is just very short. Maybe you know, he, you know that just a little bit of what's in front of me can't really tell until you actually speak to him by name. You know, <laughs> maybe, but, so. maybe so. Yeah, but at least we know how his mind control works. That it, that it works on everybody until Kirk and Spock decide that it's not working on them. Right. Yeah. Kirk's helpful. Is yeah. Spock deciding that? And Kirk also going through like <laughs> Kirk it only takes him thirty seconds, right? Even less. Mm-hmm. He gets yeah. in the, he gets in the turbo lift, he freaks out, and then he's and then he's done. Like and then yeah. and then later Spock's like, Oh, it's happening again and Kirk's like, No no no, I'm cool now. I got I got control of my beast. Yeah. Which which sounds yeah. which sounds dirty. Yeah, but it's not. Um, <laughs> uh, speaking of dirty or not dirty, you know, the, the kids were originally in the script. They were supposed to have a chant for everything that they do. Every time they create a vision uh, to distract one of the crew members, fortunately that was killed. Um, and it was replaced with the whole just banging the fist up and down. Yeah. Which, you know, when a bunch of kids do that. Yeah. Somebody actually just needs to play paper. <laughs> right and then they're done exactly done. you see the kid doing that you just lay your hand flat and then oh i'm out mm-hmm. you know it, this 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 episode could have ended um uh 40 minutes earlier than it did right oh hey did you notice on the planet that uh one of the uh the markers for the grave sites one of the scientists was named uh ching tao which by the way is also a very tasty chinese beer yeah yeah that was actually a, I, I don't know which yeah <laughs> Little known fact, actually, the leader of the expedition was originally going to be uh, one John Daniels. His friends mm. called him Jack, um, and and that really, again, would have been much better. And also, that is uh, that is not a fact. <laughs> Get ready for a life changing day of life changing. Gorgon is bringing his seminar, "The Power of Positive Thinking to Achieve Negative Results," to you. Be inspired. Free your mind. Buy the full self-help course. Gorgon, coming to an airport Marriott near an airport near you. Ken, you you so eloquently and expertly covered the story. Uh, So I'm just going to defer to you as the expert now on And the Children Shall Lead. Um, And and I I hope that in Mission Log history, you know, just all questions about And the Children Shall Lead will be directed to you, Ken. Um, And maybe you can shed some light here for me on just what is Gorgon's game. Um, He's going to take over the universe because he's the last remaining creature from a race that just sort of did that kind of thing. They, mm-hmm. they just tried to take over and conquer. Yeah. Um, but he's got to have the kids to do it. But the kids have to be super nice and act like they're having a good time to help him achieve that power. Uh, the negative emotions don't work for them. So he, he sort of uh, 
this horrible despot, the, the, this guy who wants to take over the universe, but everybody who does things for him are going to be really nice because they're just kids and they just want ice cream. <laughs> so so what, part, they, what part don't you get? Uh, all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Um, it's, yeah. yeah, there's, I mean, I don't, uh, there's so much about this that's that's just, it, it's, I don't want to say it's bad yet because yeah. I mean, that sort of is, it, there's no point in people listening anymore. There, there's just so much that doesn't work. There's so much that's crazy in this episode. I like, okay. Mm-hmm. I actually found myself thinking about it and maybe I'm far too generous, but I found myself thinking again, I would like to read this novel. Well, no, if I have to go through this story, I would like for it to be a novel or I would like for it to be a two, two and a half hour movie. I think because there's just, this is like connect the dots. You know how you get like a mm-hmm. page and they're, you know, just a, just a bunch of dots and they don't look like anything. But if you draw the, the thing, right, you know, go to one to two to three to four, it comes out to be a picture. Mm-hmm. That is what this episode was. I mean, it was just like, okay, this is weird. I don't understand what's going on. So they bring in a lawyer to give like a four minute exposition. Okay, so here's right. what's happening and here's why we're doing it. Now go right. do this. And then, I mean, that's really it. It's just, it's, so what's the Gorgon's game? let's step back even a little bit further than that. How do we start calling him Gorgon? And is he a Gorgon or is he, is his name Gorgon? And how do we know anything about them? Because Spock says, uh, nobody's ever been here before Starn, the Starns exposition. Oh, okay. Well, what can you tell me about them? Everything. Right. <laughs> right. He knows what? everything that happened with this race. I mean, he's got legend. He knows legend. He can even discern from what is history on this planet as opposed to what is legend on this planet. Right. Based on a couple of tapes of Starnes freaking out and one tape of Starnes playing with all the kids on the planet. Right. Yeah. It, uh, it just... it, it, Spock is really good like that. Um, <laughs> Gorgon, by the way, I, so I took it away that, that Gorgon is his name. That he is not the thing from Greek mythology, the Gorgon. Um, well, no, because it's I, spelled differently. It is, yeah. And how did Kirk know his name? Well, again, you know, Kirk is just good like that. Actually, there there is a missing uh, scene uh, as the script changed. I know I'm going to shock you to say that the script changed a lot before it was actually filmed. Um, but, I'm, yeah, I'm they, shocked to hear that there was a script. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but, but there would have been a moment of exposition where Kirk actually learns the name. Uh, but now, uh, the way we get it here, Kirk just knows it, and, and he calls him by his name. Yeah. So there, there you go. Um, by the way, if Gorgon actually did take over the universe and it was full of kids just singing Ring Around the Rosie and eating ice cream, uh, you can have the universe. Uh, I'm done. <laughs> Count me out. I'd be first in line to uh, to be one of the enemies that gets smited by the Gorgon. <laughs> so, All right. yeah, yeah, I guess. Right. I mean, right. I, why? I mean, I couldn't really see what his level of control was going to be, though. Like, what's he trying to? It's like you said in the beginning. What's his game? I'm almost, yeah. I'm almost fine letting him. You know, I don't have to die, right? You just want to take the kids and feed them ice cream, eh? <laughs> well, because his power seems very limited. You know, I, I'm kind of. The most amusing thing to me in this episode is the very end of him screaming death to you all. Yeah. It it is hilarious to me because he he apparently has no power whatsoever. Yeah. There's a little bit of mind control on the kids, but but the mind control on the adults has to be exercised by the kids. Right. 
And if he actually had power at all, couldn't he have done something other than appear on the bridge and not be able to do anything or even see Kirk? See, um, he's a real power of positive thinking kind of guy. Oh, I mean, yeah. I joked I joked in there about him being a motivational speaker. But seriously, if you try to stop for a minute and consider where the power to control everybody comes from, mm-hmm. it basically is having the will to do it because there's no amulet. There's no... You know, special power. There's no special radiation that they picked up on the planet. It's really just the kids going out and achieving. And I know that sounds like I'm kidding, <laughs> but I mean, you could actually, you could almost, you could almost make that. Oh God! If you were trying really hard, you could almost make that kind of a message for this. The only problem is, it's the power of positive thinking for evil. <laughs> but I mean, there's because no, you're right. He's got no power at all. No, they've got uh, their he, magic he's... chant and they've got their, you know, their fist pumping action. And that's that's pretty much it. Yeah. I mean, as far as we can tell, he's a non-corporeal being. What use does he have for the corporeal world that he can't affect? Uh, wow. Except a bunch of kids banging their fists. It's evil for evil's sake, though, isn't it? I mean, oh, I mean there's okay. always I mean, legend, history, you know, religion, uh, mythology. I mean, there's there's good and bad. And he's bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that, uh, and that's well, just yeah. it. And I think we have to accept that. I mean, to really consider his motivation is, I mean, that's like, you know, and then up next, the devil. I mean, why? Why is mm-hmm. the devil evil? Well, because we need evil. Right. You know, to, to make this good play well, <laughs> it's, it's got to have something to go against, right? I yeah. guess. I don't know. I mean, he's evil because he's evil. To consider that is, is you know, I don't know. There are some weird generalizations about evil here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, um. You know, evil does seek to maintain power. Excuse me. Evil does seek to maintain power, says Spock, by suppressing the truth, and Bone says, or by misleading the innocent. And he's not wrong about, you know, evil doing that. But, I mean, so does, you know, control or leadership. I mean, both of those things. I mean, there are other ways that control and leadership can do that, too. I mean, they can also Mm -hmm. inspire. I mean, witness, you know, the way Captain Kirk does it or, you know, witness the way some people here on, you know, planet earth and our date and time i do mm-hmm. it some people mm-hmm. not all though that's the thing yeah. um i mean so does that make control and leadership evil it doesn't seem like it no i mean <laughs> it, yeah it, 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 again it, it's sort of like you said at the beginning of this show uh the the idea of just whipping out a bible verse for the title here or a, a reference to a phrase in the Bible mm-hmm. uh, to sort of make this sound more important than it really is. Yeah. Uh, the, all their ruminations on evil made me think the same thing. Yeah. That, okay, they've got a weak story here. They've got a, a central antagonist with no motivation that we can really get. So let's have Spock and McCoy ruminate on evil for a little bit. A and very, that, that a will be our little attempt. Bit. A very yeah. little bit, and that'll be our attempt. But, but yeah, if you really wanted to go down that path and figure out what is evil, uh, is evil a thing or is evil simply a perception, uh, the evil that men do, uh, then, okay, let's do an episode about that. But uh, this is not that episode. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. No, there, there are a lot of like – they're like color forms ideas about evil and I, I, like I found myself thinking, OK, so maybe there's a lesson here for children and parents and understand. I mean, this is mm-hmm. somebody actually called uh, us out recently for doing this. Well, this is mm-hmm. what we do. I mean, this is why this show was set up, was trying to find messages, morals and meanings. And and if that has not been made clear in the past 50 some odd episodes, 
this is what we do. So if you're offended that I'm actually trying to find something in and the children shall lead, this is what mm-hmm. we do. That yeah. said, there may be lessons here for children and parents, but they're color form lessons. You know, mm-hmm. kids obey your parents. They love you and they know what you know they're doing, even if it seems like they don't. That is not always a true thing, but that is the kind of thing that you expect television from the 1960s to tell you. Sure. Um, parents, and this is actually, this is actually, I think good, would be good advice. Keep an open dialogue with your kids. Don't always be so busy, 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 busy. <laughs> oh, I get it. You're a bee. Busy. Yeah, a swarm of bees. <laughs> yes, yeah. busy. Um, don't be so busy that you can't, you know, see what's going on with your kids. Like maybe they're being led by a long dead Brando looking motivational speaking marauder. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, to, mm-hmm. to actually, you could actually put the color forms sticker of, you know, kids, your parents love you, but sometimes they have to work and parents seriously don't spend so much time, you know, concentrating on what you're concentrating on that you miss what's going on with your kids. And, mm-hmm. you know, you could do that. But I mean, that almost seems so obvious that I don't want to say it out loud. And I also don't want to give this episode that kind of gravitas because that's, I mean, really any sort of moral consideration, any consideration of evil, any consideration of parenting is something like you would find in one of those little, you know, tracks that gets handed out at the bus station that looks like a comic book, but it's not. I mean, it's yeah, that, it's yeah. that thin. It's that, right. you know, it's, it's, this could fit on in a fortune cookie. <laughs> this could honestly... Well, you, you know what though? I, I'm, I, I will take it just a step further and say that even though the, there is the, the fortune cookie version of, you know, uh, parents, here's how to be responsible with your children. There is something a little bit progressive here, though, about the psychology of the children uh, in, in that exchange between Kirk and McCoy about these kids having a disconnect from their emotions. Uh, even presenting the idea that these children have complex emotional lives, they have to grieve, they have to do these things. I, I, I think that there's the, the kernel of something there that is interesting. Uh, but again, that's not what this episode is about. <laughs> what, hold on though. See, what's fascinating yeah. to me about that is you're seeing that as some sort of like psychological examination. And I was seeing that as late 1960s people who thought things were going to be different, sort of doing head shaking about kids today, mm-hmm. kids today being in 1968, you know, it's like, Oh wow. Look what happened to their parents and these kids. They don't even know. We're going to yeah. have to – we're really going to have to screw with these kids to make them see how horrible things actually are. <laughs> right, right. And, and in fairness, I, do, I mean obviously the disconnect is something that you want to fight, but I didn't get the impression that it was like a deep psychological thing. It was – it really honestly felt more like kids. I don't know what's yeah. wrong with these kids today, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. And so let's, you know, let's make them cry. Yeah. I, I have to say, though, I was greatly amused by uh, the, the the Gorgon's strange speeches, um, and, and particularly the exchange. They're awesome. Yeah, the, the exchange with Kirk, where they just kept going back and forth, and Kirk's like, "We're strong. Your strength is canceled by your goodness," and they're just going to keep going back and forth. It's these, these <laughs> bizarre. You know, you I, suck. No, you suck. No, you suck. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That's kind of it. Yes. Yeah. I would I'm ask wearing you a to, yellow shirt, but I'm wearing a shower curtain. I, it, they're just going to keep going back and forth like that. I would you ask know. you to join me, but you are gentle, and that is a grave weakness. Eh. But we're also strong, says Kirk. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but you, but still, you're, you're gentle. <laughs> and so that's no good. And, you know, the sad thing is that's actually – that's the kind of exchange that you can see still today. You yeah. know? I mean, and that that's – 
Oh man, if we actually have to consider that there are some good messages in this episode, I'm going to cry. <laughs> For those who've made it this far, a question. Do you require medical attention? You know, I feel bad, John. I actually, I, I wrote a chant to start the show. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't have one for the end. <laughs> Wait, enough chanting. I can try Wait, one, though. I can try, I can try to, I can try to, like, really quickly come up with one. Um, fizzle, fizzle. Flop, flop, oh dear lord, make it stop. Does that work for you? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was perfect. totally that was totally spur of the moment. That was before we make it stop. That we do have these things that we do where we try to figure out the messages, morals, and meanings of an episode and um, whether they stand the test of time. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, John. Boy. Um, I, wait, do you think this episode even held up for a minute, like when it played? Uh, I I can't imagine that it did. Okay. I, I really can't. I mean, it, it, here's what's so weird. It, we did Spock's brain not that long ago. And yeah. like I said, I, I approached that with some fear and trepidation and thinking, oh, man, how are we going to make sense out of this? How are we going to talk about it? And I really enjoyed that conversation because we got to look at it in a fresh way. Yeah. And this episode... Um, Wow, for everybody who says that Spock's brain is the worst episode of all time, they are wrong. They are dead wrong. Yeah, I don't. This is the worst episode I have seen so far. And if there is a comedy troupe out there that wants to do what they do with Spock's brain, do the live action, like, oh, look how clever we are parodying this episode, this is the one that needs the help. This is the one that needs the help of parody. <laughs> well, it, it needs the help of parody. The only problem is it doesn't have the same sort of iconic stance, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I think we decided during Spock's brain that, I mean, it was almost so bad it was good. Mm-hmm. The, the mm-hmm. camp... that happens in Spock's brain unintentionally actually makes it wonderful. Spock's brain is the episode I think that people love to hate. And and conversely, I think it's probably the episode that people hate to love. I mean, it gives Mm -hmm. you something to really have a lot of fun with. Mm -hmm. If you have to watch this episode, it gives you a lot to have fun with, but this is not an iconic episode. In truth, this is one of the worst episodes. I, I think... I, I joked earlier that I missed Miri. Miri's off the hook. Miri is yeah. officially way <laughs> right. off the hook now as far right. as this episode. You want to cast a 27-year-old to play a 13-year-old? You do that thing, man, Dude, because hey, man, I miss Michael, Michael J. J. Pollard. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I miss him. I miss the considerations. I miss, you know, there's just, oh, oh. You you could bring back you could create an episode with Michael J. Pollard, uh, Lazarus, <laughs> and uh, and those flying amoebas from uh, Operation Annihilate. Put all of those together. <laughs> I would watch that before I watched this again. That's fantastic. Yeah. Hey, that's, speaking that's of really... flying amoebas and yeah. uh, and Operation Annihilate. Uh, and by the way, I do realize that uh, the plural of amoeba is amoeba, uh, not amoebas. No letters. Um, I have a theory about Peter Kirk. Uh, at the end of Operation Annihilate, how uh, Kirk just completely dismissed that he has now this orphan nephew. Um, and he's like, oh, yeah, we'll just uh, take 
people to a star base. Eh, they're fine. Um, I, I have a feeling that this is sort of a problem with Kirk uh, and, and his short-sightedness. I think that Tommy Starnes actually is Peter Kirk, and he's been adopted. <laughs> and uh, Kirk just still does not recognize his kid at all. Oh, that's interesting. Or maybe Peter Kirk is just haunting him. Oh, there you go. Oh, the whole thing is a dream. No, well, now you just made the episode better. Thanks. I, I'm glad <laughs> to do that. All right. So messages. Do you want to? I mean, what do you want to do there? Well, wait, wait, wait. Did we answer the question of does the episode hold up? I think actually no. this whole episode we've answered the question of does this episode no, hold up. So no, it does not hold up. Yeah. Um, Even the costumes are bad. <laughs> they are because the Kirk is like Kirk is like you know well your parents loved you and I'm watching it going and yet they dress them like that. <laughs> I mean, there's just nothing. There's oh, there's there's. I do love the Gorgon. I got to say, I don't love his motivation. I don't love what he's trying to do. But there is just something fantastic about it, like just plopping him down in the middle. It really yeah. was like a motivational speaker. So what you're saying is you love the Gorgon, but without all the Gorgon stuff. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> that's, that's kind of funny. Well, no, even that. I mean, his whole, you know, you can achieve what you want to achieve. It's just, you know, maybe you want to achieve good things might be, you know, better. As you yeah. believe, so shall you do. So shall you do. So shall you do. I've been chanting that now for days. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, uh, if you take this episode and just for a moment without the Gorgon stuff, maybe there's a shred of something here talking about the psychology of the children, a bad idea to suppress emotions, uh, face away from the truth, however painful it may be. That's the kind of thing that leads to the dark side. You know, kids, listen to your parents. Otherwise, you may get involved with an evil entity that's trying to take over the universe. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, not every surprise is a good surprise, but then apparently you get to ask for the good surprise that you actually (laughs) wanted in the first place. Um, Oh, I got one. I got one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The cave. Remember your failure in the cave. Oh, yeah. Sorry. That's actually the other thing I thought about, too. You brought up a good point earlier when you said that uh, maybe – Maybe this should have been a novel or a, a movie or, or something like that. Maybe, just uh, maybe. There's too much. Is, Go ahead. I'm uh, sorry. Uh, maybe, maybe it's Star Trek V. Maybe we're going to get to Star Trek V and we're going to look back on this and we're going to go, hey, this, this manipulation through fear and psychology, may, maybe Star Trek V is, is actually where this is headed. There was, you know, I, I did find myself when, when, the, when they called for the transport ship and didn't know why, and then they got there and the Gorgon got on, I did see a much older William Shatner saying, what does God need with a starship? Mm-hmm. There are ties there. But I mean, seriously, the best you can do for an episode is tie it to <laughs> what is generally speaking thought of as the worst Star Trek film, you know, most recent whatever <laughs> set aside <laughs> if the best you can do for an episode of star trek is say it reminded you of star trek five yeah mm-hmm. you've got you've got uh you i'm sad <laughs> <laughs> and that's all i got i guess but are we ready to ask people what they thought of it oh yeah all right if if you want to write in and defend this let's just do that actually don't write in I I I I don't want to set limits on you. If you want to write in and say you agree that this was an awful episode, then you know feel free. If you have a defense of this episode, though, we really, really want to hear from you. Um, there are a few ways you can get in touch with us: Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. The handle is Mission Log Pod. That handle again is Mission Log Pod on Facebook, Skype, or Twitter. You can call us three two three five two two five six four one. That number again is three two three five two two five six four one. 
you can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. That email address again is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log, and that statement again, remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. (laughs) And speaking of upcoming episodes of Mission Log, next week, Ken, is there in truth no beauty? Some of the music for the mission log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. I'm going to try to hook up with that ice cream computer, and I'll do it. It's like Gorgon says, as you believe, so shall you do, so shall you do, so shall you do, as you believe, so shall you do, so shall you do. And transmission. Now leaving Nerdist.com.